The marketplace of a large city teems with buyers and sellers of many sorts, dwarf smiths and elf woodcarvers, halfling farmers and gnome jewelers, not to mention two humans, Aaron Thompson and Josh Karam, who offer the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Everybody and welcome to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast, where two nerds talk about Dungeons and Dragons and Magic: The Gathering today. Because we are talking about something that inspired this whole podcast, we want to talk about the Dungeons and Dragons things that we'll probably see in the cards of the Magic: The Gathering Forgotten Realms set. It's gonna be great. Aaron knows that I've been, like, asking a lot of friends, I've been going around the internet a lot, I've been trying to think of a lot of things that might get reprinted as well, both of us have, so I thought a cool way to do it is we could start with creatures, artifacts, items, places even, there's a lot of places we can Mm -hmm. go. But like I always say whenever I'm struggling to build a deck in Arena, creatures win you games in Magic. Right, That's so true. you have to have some creatures. They can take the hits. You can't have a mill deck and not have anything to defend you. You gotta mm-hmm. have something. You gotta have your merfolk secret keeper. So similar to the uh, fifth chapter of the Dungeons and Dragons handbook that I just read, let's go around the market and shop for some creatures, perhaps, that we could put into Magic the Gathering. Is that where that came from? That is where that came from, yes. Wow. <laughs> Do you hear that, Josh? I think I hear the scraping at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Nah, it's fine. I get it. You know, the marketplace goes to a lot of places. I might have gone to one of the shady dealers of Waterdeep, to be fair, to get oh. this one. You got any skooma? Sorry. No, I didn't, sadly. <laughs> All I got was just a couple copper pieces left in my pouch, and that's about it. They took me mm. for everything. <laughs> you can't even get chicken nuggets with that. No, you can't. Not even a cheap ale at the cheapest... Br- uh, oh, anyway, speaking of... <laughs> Speaking of cheap ale. I was thinking of a couple of standard creatures that we could have, and I think we could go back and forth with the ideas, but one of the big ones that comes up is beholders. They're so signature to Dungeons & Dragons. Even if people don't know it and maybe have, like, heard of it, they're like, oh, is there, like, a big creature with one eye and all these tendrils? It's just yeah, a t- it's on the front of the uh, the monster manual. Exactly. So it's got this it's got this big reputation no doubt about it and there are no beholders that currently exist except for one within the magic universe. Fair warning about this card. It was on Magic the Gathering the Gatherer side where you could check out all of your uh, cards. This card was not constructed for play. It was actually just a test card, but it's called the Underdark Beholder. Yeah, I th- I also came across this in my study this week. So, since there really is no card that actually exists within the playing of Magic the Gathering, Beholders, toss them in. They're iconic. So, Aaron, I'm going to ask you then, do Uh you believe that this card could get legendary creature status? No. Final answer. I think you could put in, like, Xanathar, you know? He is a very legendary Beholder, right? Ooh, good point. The Beholder beneath Waterdeep, but... Just a beholder in and of itself, I don't think is legendary. I I usually leave legendary creatures for like things with names and like very specific plot-based 
creatures. Interesting. That's that's good. I like that. And also, I think it makes sense that if you're trying to build a deck, if, if Xanathar comes out as a legendary creature, Beholders are probably going to be a part of uh, maybe a little bit of tribal with him. You would hopefully. think. That are fish tokens. I have an idea later that involves reptiles and fish. I'll hold off on oh, that. Oh, perfect. Okay. Actually, screw it. Let's segue right in. So uh, our friend Rachel, who many of you might recognize from Candlekeep, or talking about her a lot on the podcast. I love you, Rachel. So she um uh, talked about Bullywugs. Yes, I love Bullywugs. They're such a quintessential like intro to D&D. Like, if you don't fight goblins, right, you usually fight Bullywugs. The thing that I started thinking about, and this is a little, I know this is getting a little crazy, because it's going to be like going into, well, how much could we do with this? Spore Frog is such an important card, I find, in green decks. Because you sacrifice and it prevents all combat damage. Like, mm-hmm. it's a nice one drop to get out. And then I realized Karibo. there's there's a couple frogs that exist within the uh, D&D card scheme, but nothing to build the deck around. Maybe an introduction of Bullywugs can start, not within this set, of course, because the idea that it would just be frogs in this set's a little crazy, but maybe to start a concept of forming, like, frog salamander. Frogs are a classic Simic thing, right? You can have creatures that become frogs yeah um as well as there's like that one spell like turn to frog yes right yes. from eldraine i think you want to turn your uh creatures into frogs i don't know there's something so satisfying about that i love it it's just so it's like this is not a threat anymore it is a frog yeah your opponent has this great like terror of the peaks and you're like nah frog mm-hmm. it's a frog so you were saying simic uh one of the things a friend of mine, Alex, told me is he wanted to see a dragon turtle green-blue legendary yeah, creature card. That would be cool. <laughs> and I think that the dragon turtle, when we're talking, I mean, dragon is literally in the name of Dungeons and Dragons here. <laughs> I think the dragon turtle could deserve a legendary creature status just based on the CR power of what the dragon turtle is. Right. They could probably come up with a name for it. And I know that on this podcast, you and I, Aaron, we mostly talk about how Simic is so great. Let's just make it greater. Let's just give it something let's else. Just, let's just pile on at this point. Give me a huge green-blue legendary dragon turtle. That's all we could ask And for. let me ride it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a really interesting question that I have for this Forgotten Realms set. Is that, like, are there going to be planeswalkers in it? Hmm. Like, does this mean that the planeswalkers that we know are coming to the Forgotten Realms? Yeah. Or, like, are there going to be, like, heroes that we've heard of before that, like, that spark? And so then this is how their adventure begins from the Forgotten Realms to somewhere else. Very good question. <laughs> or are they two separate things, you know? Definitely. I was just going to throw out a couple names. We have we have all the Hall of Champions cards. We have uh, Drizzt, Doe Urden, Wolfgar, Bruner, uh, Caddy Bree. Also, thanks to Josh, who we talk about as Zipkin all the time for introducing us to these characters because we weren't terribly familiar with it before. So thank you, Josh. You know, we got that old school lore. Yes, exactly. We need, we need help with that sometimes. So thank you, Josh. And yes, Zipkin is a gnome. You said it on mic multiple times. It is so. I just want to make sure it is clear so there's nobody coming after me for outing Zipkin as an orc. <laughs> So the other ones that uh, we were talking about as well is possibly the Spider Queen, Queen Loth, uh, Tasha, Orcus. Tasha would be cool. I think Tasha could be a planeswalker. I could see Tasha as a planeswalker because, you know, I mean, because planeswalking is trans- like transitioning between planes 
is so different in um, D&D as it is in Magic the Gathering, yeah. right? Because in D&D, it's just a seventh level spell, and you can go to, you know, like, the Nine Hells or Mechanus or, you know, any any of those places, right? And it's pretty easy. True. So, but in, in Magic, it's a very special thing. But Tasha definitely goes between planes already. So, and that's one of the things I think about Baba Yaga's like mortar and pestle is that it lets you like transfer you can like fly in it right so that could be a nice little I'm not saying it's like the Doctor Who phone booth <laughs> but it could be well also when you look at older D&D Tasha was rated uh, people write out like at a 30 challenge rating sometimes oh my so she has the power like there's no doubt oh about she it. has the range she's got yes. the <laughs> girl she got range so Tasha's a possible planeswalker would be really cool but I guess a lot of ancient dragons was a lot of what we were talking about can make an appearance I think so yeah I think um in terms of legendary creatures I could see an ancient dragon being one I still think it's got to be something with a name right something that's the stuff of legend not just like this was a really strong dragon you know interesting like because ancient dragons live for like i don't know like a thousand years or something like they're like really old yeah they can't just be like if it's because you think about like the terror of the peaks is like a really strong dragon yeah you know it's not like a specific you know legendary dragon it's just what it is let's also not forget our favorite chonky dragon the uh gold spar dragon is also <clears throat> not a legendary creature <laughs> He's a legend in my heart. He's le- <laughs> One day he'll get his name, and he will be the chonk, legend, the most legendary chonk. There we go. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that was so hard to say. That was so hard to say. So if there was an ancient dragon included, I think that's a good point, Aaron. That they would have to have the name. Otherwise, it should just be like a young silver dragon is added, or an mm-hmm. adult green dragon, something like right. that. Right. I was also thinking other legendary creatures. Right. Spinning off of Tiamat. Right. Yeah. Other sort of like mythic things that go down in D and D lore, right? So like, I want to see the Tarasque oh, or like yes. the Jubilex, you know, like any of these sort of like they could be the end of a campaign boss sort of thing. Like those are what I want to see for legendary creatures. I would like to see a Baylor on that list as well. Oh yeah, also a good option. Could be a Rakdos clone. I get it, but Baylor's not as uh, seductive or charismatic as a Rakdos. No. Is. Definitely has, like, the frightening presence, yes. right, that, like, a dragon might. Yeah, but you don't look at Baylor and you're like, wow, that's a charming demon right there. <laughs> you're like, hey, what do you have to say? <laughs> and speaking of demons as well, I forgot to mention it earlier, but Orcus as well, uh, just as mm-hmm. a legendary creature, just legendary demon of the underworld in older D&D. Toss him on there. Yeah, or um, Asmodeus. Oh, yeah. He could be another one of those. Aaron, what do you think about the purple worm? I think it's fine. I think it will be a creature. Not I legendary? Don't think it'll be a legendary creature. Okay. No. Interesting. I was thinking about that. I, I also have things listed here. I got cubes. I got oozes. I got mind flares. Oh, yeah. But I don't think Those any are of them. all like classic creatures that I want to see, right? But none of them have the legendary status, I don't think. No. And of course, you got to have kobolds. Kobolds, yes, yes. If you don't mind me segueing off of kobolds, because that is a of playable course. character in D&D. Basically, uh, my friend Ben offered a Kenku, which is another cool creature race within mm-hmm. D&D. And I guess maybe that's the opportunity that they could introduce the cool D&D classes into cards. So just having something as simple as, like, the Kenku Thief or the Cobalt Wild Sorcerer to get those classes within the cards. Even if the card name isn't 
you know, like, specifically, like, Oath of Vengeance Paladin, you know, like, if you just, like, use it as a descriptor and say, like, Vengeful Paladin, like, that is, we've had, like, Ruthless Warrior, we've had, you know, the Brineborn Cutthroat, if you will. Yes. So if you just wanted to, like, write it out in, like, an artful way, right, you could still put in all of those classic, like, if you wanted to do some kind of, like, Mastermind card, you might honestly just write, like, whatever player race you want the card to be and then just make it mastermind at the end you know like elvish mastermind might be a card you could play good point yeah it's definitely a black card but you know i didn't think it could be that easy but you're right yeah and yeah black card i mean how could you not have a black mastermind mm-hmm. aaron when it comes to classes in particular are there certain ones that you want to see within this new set to be thrown into cards i'm curious to see a couple things i mean all my favorite classes i want to see in there so I want to see a lot of druids show up because, so I love the party mechanic. I do. And this is like a spinoff of that also that I'm curious to see how they work with the party mechanic and like, do paladins become warriors? You know, like, what do you do with the knight class? Like, how does that all go together? True. But druids really got shysted, I think, in the party mechanic. Yeah. Because I know they weren't like one of the original originals, but they're a pretty old D&D class that's like whenever you ask someone about D and D, I think druids definitely on that list of like the top five. I'd you know? agree. Yeah, it might not be the top four, but it's the fifth one. It's also the people like, that just want to transform into an animal who play D and D. That's like a right. common thing they go for. Mm-hmm. So I oh I would really want to see like a like a dual face, much like old Innistrad werewolves, um, Ooh. or just like Innistrad werewolves, right? Where like it's the druid on one side and it's whatever their wild shape is on the other side. That would be really cool. That would also be a great way to tease into Innistrad, because it's literally the next set after Forgotten Realms. Aaron, I'm not going to lie. Like, they got to hire you now. You're you're on top of this. You know what's going to... Because I guarantee that's got to happen. They have to be ready for that modal double face. Thank you. Bring it back. We loved it before. Also, another, another class that already exists is that there's monk cards in mm-hmm, D&D. Right. And they got shafted from it, too. I can't remember the Acoria monk that was really big in the Acoria set, the white, red, blue one. But maybe oh, she'll have a reappearance. About, but yeah, that would be cool. With her spell emblems. And, like, rangers, you know? Like, that's a classic class. Yeah. But I don't think there are ranger cards. Like, there are cards that have ranger in the title, but they're, you know, something else. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, anything that is, like, a warlock or a sorcerer gets shoved into wizard. Yeah, most of them are wizards. Their cards literally like sorcerer. Like it says sorcerer. And they're then a wizard. In, in like the yeah, it's like that's a wizard. I'm like okay. Everything in magic operates around Hagrid rules. He thinks anyone that casts <laughs> magic wizard, is a Harry. wizard. <laughs> you're a wizard yeah. sorcerer. Rockslide sorcerer. You're a wizard. You're a wi- <laughs> I can't wait. So it's I. Fine. It's probably gonna be the case that the majority of the cards in this new set are just gonna fall under one of the four of the party mechanic. I would assume. I mean, that would make sense to me, but I'd be interested to see some others, you know? I, I don't think it's a smart idea, but, like, if you build, like, another kind of party, you know, like, a second kind of party mechanic that's, like, if you have druids, monks, and, you know, whatever else, it would be interesting. I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it in the long haul, but... Yeah, I guess it's how it plays in the end, right? Mm-hmm. And we talk about these different class options, which means that some items are associated with the classes, I would like to say. 
Aaron knows this is coming and probably wants to punch me for bringing it up again. But no. the Holy Avenger is an yes. item in D&D notorious <laughs> and... Things like that that are associated with certain classes are infamous with D&D. So I want to see a a white drop, however many mana, Holy Avenger artifact that enters this set. Also, like, colorful artifacts. You know, yeah. I think those are fun. Like Embercleave, right? Can never say no so, to an Embercleave. And especially, like, Holy Avenger, like, maybe it can only attach to warriors, you know, warriors or knights. Yeah, so items that we talked about, I think that we'd want to see. I got a couple here. A Bag of Holding we talked about getting a reprint. A bag of Holding is a card. Yeah, so possibly gets a reprint then. I would imagine a reprint for sure. Everybody I mean, wants the Bag of Holding, right? <laughs> yeah, the Deck of Many Things I think would be a great... 100%. I'm not sure how you would do it, but... It's got to be a draw mechanic thing, right? I mean, probably, if you're drawing a deck. I'm imagining there's one card that's like... No, this is a Yu-Gi-Oh card. So there's a Yu-Gi-Oh card, right? I think it's like the Sphinx of something, Hidden Paths, I don't know, whatever. So the point is is that you like take one card off the top of your deck and you keep it face down and you guess what kind of card type it is. So if it's like a spell, a trap, or a monster. Hmm. And if you're right, I think you get to put it on the field. And if you're wrong, it goes to the graveyard. Oh, interesting. And I can imagine something like that for a deck of many things where you have to like predict, right? Or like you pull three cards face down and you like just pick one and the other two go away. I like that better because there's got to be a consequence. There's always a consequence with the deck of many things. Oh, for sure. So it's either the bottom of your library or it's... I actually think the bottom of your library is worse than your graveyard because your graveyard, at least, like, you can get stuff out of there. Bottom of the library is, like, you just have to <laughs> shuffle and hope it ends up back on top. I guess it depends on your tutor system in your deck. If you got a lot of tutors built into it, then maybe you're like, all right, I'll just get that back from the bottom whenever I draw a tutor. Right, I'll pick it out later. A necklace of fireballs, I find, pretty big. Oh, that's a classic one. Red artifact right there. Mm-hmm. And then the last two that I wrote that I think are pretty big are Helm of Teleportation and Ring of Regeneration. Now, how would you make the Helm of Teleportation? So I have two weird ways of doing this. Either A, it works like a minor Teferi's Protection where you could phase out one creature. Mm-hmm. Or it's like you're cool. forcibly attaching the Helm of Teleportation to someone else. So it's like you it's almost like a pacifism on someone else's card. So it's almost like an exile. Yeah. I could also see it just making the creature unblockable. Oh, that's true cuz it could phase around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I like your idea too with the like Teferi's protection cuz I love that or card. Or similar to like what Kaya does. Oh yeah, yeah. That would be good. Helm of Teleportation, we'll see you there. We'll see you in the Forgotten we'll Realms. We'll see you there. I mean, I want to see the Cloak of the Manta Ray, but I understand that it probably won't happen. It's just so big with our playgroup, I feel as though. I like, just love it's it. It's so big. I love it so much. Manta Rays are like one of my favorite creatures in the whole sea. I think they're beautiful. I love the Cloak of the Manta Ray. It's a great item for the the rarity rate that it's at. What it gives you, mm-hmm. I think, is great. Yeah, water breathing and a really big um, swim speed. I mean, if you're doing a pirate campaign, like... And boy, have I. And boy, (laughs) and boy, does Josh... Yeah, does Josh love his pirate ships? I can't not write them into a campaign. It's so I mean, like, my character is literally a pirate, though. Like, I did this to you. I enabled you, and then you enabled me with the Cloak of the Mantle. I was in the right. now we're here. Yay, I did it. Also, the last campaign we did together, uh, one of the characters was a pirate as well, so... Yes. I think people just want to be pirates. Pirates are cool. Yeah, who doesn't want to be with Barbosa? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
eat a whole bushel of apples. That's the dream. That's the dream. Sorry, Babosa. Literally, there's so many acting conversations that Josh and I have that boil down to how obsessed I am with the character choice that Barbosa loves eating apples. Like, it's like such a big through line throughout all of the Pirates of the Caribbean that's like Barbosa and his apples. And it just makes him such an interesting character to me. I agree. I 100% agree with that. I think if anyone needs a reason how the continuity of the trilogy works... Just look at that, because it actually plays in very well. It's just one man trying to eat some apples. Just wants to eat an apple. Good thing, though, Calypso was able to cast a spell on him. Sorry, spoiler alert, to bring him back. Wow, how dare you spoil the third part of the I know, the literally, movie. actually the second that came out, the like, end of what, the second. like Nowhere 15 be years ship. ago now? <laughs> but speaking of spells on Calypso's part... Uh, there's a lot of spells in D&D. Your transitions are really on fire today. Thank you. Like a fireball spell, which might get a like reprint. Like a fireball spell, which is a real spell that Magic the Gathering has already printed. And I'm hoping um, for a reprint. I'm hoping for one. I mean, you have to. It's fireball, right? Exactly. I'm going to just list off a couple spells that I like that I know some of these will be a reprint, but just things mm-hmm. that I think about. Um, Guiding Bolt, Magic Missile... Polymorph and Raise Dead, I would like a reprint on both of those. I know there's like a hundred different polymorphs. Just pick one and reprint it. (laughs) Just pick your favorite. And the big one that I wanted to have a conversation with you about is Wish. There are Uh, a lot of cards that are like Wishes in Magic the Gathering. Various different versions of Wish. I'm wondering if they should take one of those and reprint that or come up with a brand new mechanic card that is just simply Wish. Because Wish is so all-encompassing in D&D. It, like, it can be whatever you and your DM... Uh, important. Whatever you and your DM decide. Yeah. Right? I like the idea that it's like Sublime Epiphany in that it's a card that gives you a lot of options. And maybe with Wish, you only get to pick one. But, like, having a lot of really cool things, right? Whether that's, like, return all the creatures from your graveyard onto the battlefield, you know? Or, like, a board wipe or some something else. Like, add 20 mana to your mana pool. Like, I don't know. Or, like, you get an emblem that has you have no maximum hand size. It would have to be expensive. If it was life expensive as well? Oh, interesting. It definitely depends on how you flavor the card. Because if it's... I could imagine it being white-black, right? For this sort of, like yin yang kind of thing if you're going with good and evil which like you don't have to but then maybe you could pay, you could pay life but i usually don't expect that outside of the black color scheme hmm. i guess it's just that when you think of a lot of people who cast wish there's a lot of things where their strength goes down to three or negative side effects that come from it so something mm-hmm. maybe if you have the sublime epiphany thing for each one you choose perhaps it's like a oh, huge downfall i like that that you yeah get. there's um there's a leliana card like that I think where every time it comes back it's like a recurring enchantment and every time you pick one like you pick an enchantment every turn or you pick an effect every turn and like the last one is you lose the game and so the goal is like it's a lot of good things but if you let it tick down too far you'll lose the game so I think something like that might be really cool where like every time that you pick one or like each option also has a negative penalty would be neat interesting you know that brings up two things on my side the first thing i do have to address the audience i know that i've said a lot that i want to see a liliana a white liliana card aaron and i both and i understand that there is a flip card where liliana looks good on one side and then evil on the other that's not good enough i'm sorry i just need that to be known (laughs) just need that to be known when you were talking about uh counters on cards and things like that uh my friend Alex was talking to me about the 
divine intervention card that exists. Mm-hmm. One, it can't be reprinted. It, it's not going to get reprinted. If if it were to come back in some way, it would have to be completely different. But I found it interesting because the card's text was you put two divine counters on it, and when it hits zero, you draw in the game. Oh. And that's it. It's an enchantment that hits the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, if it doesn't get countered or removed after two turns, the game is a draw. That makes a lot of draws. I don't know about that. Yeah, so they can't reprint that one. No, because it's just one of those old magic cards. It's just kind of like, mm-hmm. well, that's the end of the like, game. Or it's like clay pigeon. It. Catch the pigeon two feet off. Right. It's ridiculous. I was reading through a Reddit thing, um, and I read something that they said that magic doesn't exist and wasn't made to be, but like... Something to the effect of, like, people would play magic in between D&D games. Like, that's part of, like, its inception. That makes D&D sound like it's a sporting event. I agree. Like a multi-day of affair. That's so true. I don't know, but it's like the two things are, you know, very closely related. So yeah. it's no surprise that they have similar things going for each other. Also, if you draft magic cards, that's a whole day event right there. That, that is a whole day event. One time I tried to do that just in an afternoon, and let me tell you, it doesn't work. Yeah, I started with friends, like, at 6 at night, and we went till 5 a.m. just doing a draft. Yeah. It's long. Because then you have to play everybody, too. There's a whole tournament that has to happen. The decks are clunky. They don't work well. So it's just no. like trying to get one card on somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we uh, leave the world of D&D uh, physical cards, because I want to talk a little bit about mechanics, are there any Planeswalkers from other sets, Aaron, since you really are the lore master with the Planeswalkers? Oh, hush. When it comes I am no to lore that. master. You know the Planeswalkers very well. and Since I'm, I'm a well-versed person when it comes to Planeswalkers. You've sure. traveled the Planes. Do you think that there are any Planeswalkers from other sets, and which ones, if that, that would make appearances in the Forgotten Realms? That is an excellent question. I really don't know. I mean, there's people I want to, right? I don't think anybody from Ravnica specifically will make it to the Forgotten Realms, hmm. mostly because we already have a lot of magic Ravnica crossover True. Right, with the Guildmaster's Guide. I would love it if Tyvar and the gang made it to Faerun. Like, that would be cool. Interesting. Okay. This is my question, right? Like, are we getting a story out of this, too? Or is it just a set of cards? Oh, interesting. Do you think there will be, like, a... This is crazy, but a a Nico Bolas versus Tiamat? Oh. Who's the true... That would be weird. Lord of all? Or lady of all? (laughs) Or lady? I don't know. I don't think so. Partially because, like... Nico Bolas is like super out of the game now, That's right? After War of the yeah. Spark, but uh, in a showdown between Tiamat and Nico Bolas, I would put my money on Tiamat still. The same. Like I know Nico Bolas is like one of the most powerful planeswalkers ever, basically a god, but like Tiamat is like literally a god, so Also, if you're just talking about when you talk about the color wheel Aaron, the fact that Tiamat would encompass more of the wheel I think mm-hmm. just speaks to the the legendary god status of the card. I think so too. To the sort of just like the all encompassing. So when it comes to mechanical stuff, we have the party mechanic that we've been talking about a lot, which is definitely mm-hmm. that was just a teaser for this set. They they wanted to introduce oh, it. Has it has to be. If they don't do it again, I'll be like, what? It's so D and D. It's the classic D and D classes put together. Right. It's D and D literally. So. Mechanically, Aaron, you brought up an interesting mechanic related to an older set because D&D has a lot to do with a character growing over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I was talking about the level up mechanic that was in the Rise of the Eldrazi the second time we run Zendikar. Because <laughs> technically we've been there three times. It's hard to keep track. It's It's been a while, so, Zendikar. 
Yeah, but basically it's like you get level up counters, right? And your card, you can spend it to level up like as a sorcery, right? And your card gets stronger just like the more it stays on the field. Yeah. And that's that's just like how we play D&D. So I think it would make perfect sense to see that one again. It's also been so long. I And I think it's a very cool mechanic. I think it should come back. Some of my favorite cards when I first started playing Magic were level up. Like the Coral Helm Commander or the Echo Mage. Oh, yes. And also people love Eldrazi too, so it's... <laughs> I know. Why do you people love Eldrazi? I never liked them. You you had a lot of people to talk to, Aaron, if you're saying that. I know. It's because I'm such a Nyssa fan, though. Oh. Like, hmm. The thing I love about Zendikar is, like, its wild nature and, like, all of its habitats and stuff. I'm sorry I don't love fell. the Eldrazi because they just, like, destroy everything. Uh, you know, what can you do, right? People want the cards that have power, and Eldrazi's right. tend to be just It's very... the same thing about Slivers. People love Slivers. Oh, I have a friend... Alex, I'm going to call you out again, who has a sliver deck, and those cards are crazy. Those cards are wicked. They're literally, they're like created to be broken. And that's why they got banned really early. <laughs> like, right. And now they're just like a gimmick. Wizards of the Coast admits, they said like, this was just a fun thing we tried. Like, we don't, we didn't mean for it to last. We just had fun. We just had fun with it. So the other idea that I was brewing on with mechanics, and we've talked about this, is dice is so big in D&D. Everything mm-hmm. is about the dice roll. Our first podcast that we ever did is all about the dice roll. Wow. So, so long ago. I know. It feels like forever. It really has been a very long time. But if there is a way that they can incorporate a dice rolling mechanic into the game, maybe as simple as like a D4 or something. That would be great. Or even we've done coin flips before, right? But you need some element of randomness because that's what the game's all about. Yes. And that could clearly be seen in like... A Beholder card or something like that. Cards mm-hmm. that are really chance-based are monsters that are very chance-based in the D&D world itself, or even the deck of many right. things. So if there's some way that you can incorporate, I don't want to say like a D20, because I think that's a little too That's a lot. Much. And you couldn't fit it all on a card. No, yeah. <laughs> Imagine 20 different things fitting mm-hmm. onto a D&D card. That'd be crazy. Even though Omnath feels like it's 20 different things fit on the one right. card. But yeah, I want to see like a wild magic surge, right? That's got like a bunch of options and it's random which one you get. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And who doesn't love which, going like, to the competitively table? Competitively is, is such not a viable strategy, right? Because no. um, you don't want to walk into a thing and be like, I really don't know what's going to happen every time I play this card, but I'm going <laughs> to play it. Aaron, is there any other thing that we haven't talked about that you would like to add or even what you most want to see in this set? It's just occurred to me um, because like Faerun, right, has a lot of gods and we've seen a lot of god cards already this year. So I'm wondering if they'll do anything with that, if any of like the famous, you know, like a Pelor or Melora or any of those cast of characters if we're going to see any of those gods become also magic cards. Interesting. That'll also go well with the world tree and prismatic bridge combo mm-hmm. in call time then. Right. I watched a video of somebody who was like, well, the world tree just says god cards, and they played like Amon Ket and Theros, mm. and they just like brought out all these gods. Crazy. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's really all of them. This card is still legal. I want to make a Prismatic Bridge deck before it goes off. So I just do it. Yeah. You have to. <laughs> I need it. I need this for myself. <laughs> I think the thing that I am most excited for 
is figuring out what legendary creatures are worthy of the legendary title besides Tiamat. What they do, maybe they create new characters for D&D, or they take mm-hmm. these old ones that we know and love, like Tasha, and turn them into something. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm hoping for the latter. Same. I think that's what we deserve as D&D fans. Exactly. We want to see. I mean, even Call Time <laughs> takes Norse gods and reskins them. That's basically mm-hmm. what they were doing, so we'd love to see that. Right. All right, so now we're going to leave magic completely behind us and dive deeper into the Forgotten Realms with a really important bracket. Yay! Welcome to round two, everybody. (laughs) We have a very exciting matchup today. We're doing nature versus science and the holy versus the profane. Where do you want to start, Josh? I think I want to start with the paladin and the blood hunter. Our, our holy versus unholy. Works for me. So why don't we start with the, the young up-and-comer, right? I think that's only fair. Yeah, for sure. Give the blood hunter their day. Let's give the young blood hunter oh. a shot here. <laughs> I see what you did. So first point I'm going to make is I think the blood hunter, when it comes to lower levels, uh, the damage output that it can do is pretty amazing. The rights that it can take, the damage it adds, and especially because it is magical damage as well is a pretty good plus early on. Also, the lycanthrope. That's all I'm going to say right there. The The damage output of the lycanthrope is insane, and especially if you're just a bunch of third-level characters, you you honestly, like, take a brand new standard of damage. Mm-hmm. And the ability to, to be able to, to tank as the lycanthrope is really awesome. One other thing I really enjoy, which is sort of a... It's a double-edged sword for the Bloodhunter, but I love the high-risk, high-reward play style. I like that you actually hurt yourself sometimes, and, like... It just makes it feel a little bit spicier. You know, the stakes are higher there. I think it's important to note that since support is another category we have here, I don't think the Blood Hunter is going to get a passing grade because the Blood Hunter is a very... I'm going to deal a lot of damage, but if you go the Lycanthrope route, you could hurt your friends. You know what I mean? If they're close by to use a Lycanthrope, you could just attack them. And it's it's a little dangerous to play around a Blood Hunter. I totally understand. Um, in terms of team support... None of the none of the subclasses really give you the same kind of like party buffs, you know, or like battlefield control stuff that we've that we've seen in other support classes that have done super well in this in this bracket. Of the four Bloodhunter subclasses, <laughs> they're all incredibly diverse and give you a lot of options. It's pretty I mean, you could go your warlock route, or you can go this crazy lycanthrope route, or you could Almost, I find the Ghost Slayer route really just to be another paladin. The Ghost Slayer is pretty cool. I don't mind it. And it gives me a lot of, um, it reminds me of the Horizon Walker Ranger, because you get all those teleports. Oh, you know, speaking Mm -hmm. of Ranger, I think it's important to remember the utility of the Blood Hunter. And it's really cool that a lot of their abilities work outside um, hunting and tracking targets. Mm -hmm. Like you got a weird infernal monster you have to hunt down, the Blood Hunter can get you to it. Right. I really love how a lot of their class features, when they're not like combat focused, they're like dedicated to, well, one, that they're an intelligence based class also, which is cool to sort of get that in there because they're they're not only a good fighter, but they're also smart, right? And can do a lot outside of combat when it comes to tracking down information and, you know, doing research and actually finding the creatures that they're looking for. Yeah, I know it's not one of the categories, but I do like that it is an intelligence class because we really don't have a lot 
of intelligent space classes in D&D, so... Yeah, outside of, like, the wizard. The wizard's, like, the huge one. And then I guess you... Artificer's there, too, but it's it's also so new that it doesn't really exist to me yet. So, intelligence points, sort of? We give it one <laughs> intelligence point? <laughs> now, we're, we're talking good about the Blood Hunter, but I think it's time to, to bring the smite down and mm. and talk about the paladin here the the old veteran competitor yeah the paladin's just great i think we can make it a very simple choice um you could make an argument about the utility of the blood hunter matching or surpassing the paladin i understand that but mm-hmm. when it comes to the damage output and the support that a paladin could offer it far exceeds the blood hunter and then from the beginning the paladin being able to heal uh take certain things off of party members with restorations for example right Having that lay on hands just like as an extra bonus is great. And also all of the right dice are D6s, right? Or does that, no, your kind of dice grows as you level. Yes, yes. Gotcha, which doesn't scale the same way as like when a paladin uses a third level smite. That's 3d8. Oh, that's you know? a really good point. Yeah, there's there's no comparison there. There's just no, at the same level, like I think your right dice might be a D10. And that's cool, but it's not 3d8. So... I, I hate to just kind of, you know, be like, hey, we're talking up the Blood Hunter, but my vote goes for the Paladin. Just it's all right. It just means simple. we'll get to talk about the Blood Hunter more later in, like, our own special episode. Get ready, Gothic episode. We're writing Gothic again, lineages again. Another yeah. one. <laughs> when, we do, uh, when we do that Strahd campaign, Eli's been talking yeah, about. Yeah, the Strahdcast. We'll, uh, Strahdcast. Oh, that'll be so much fun. So, so, yeah, sorry, Blood Hunter. I love the Blood Hunter. I, um... I built one for a campaign in Icewind Dale that hopefully we'll get back around to playing someday. I feel that. I played a Ghost Slayer Blood Hunter, and I really enjoyed that. You know, the the search for redemption. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's edgy. The class is always edgy, but, you know. Edgelord, yeah. It's like rogues, you know. But, yeah, so let's flip over to another up-and-coming class and another old favorite. We're talking the Artificer versus the Druid. I know what you're thinking, Aaron. I have resolved my feelings. I am completely non-biased against the Druid now. I, I have a lot of respect <laughs> for the Druid, so thank I will you, not thank you. I will not sabotage this tournament for myself, mm-hmm. cleric for, on behalf of the cleric. Right. I I had a holy message from a cleric god, and they told me <laughs> to sabotage this game. Oh gosh. <laughs> no, no. Start with the young blood again, yeah. Especially because this is also like a class we haven't seen in the bracket yet. This is brand new, brand spanking new, and the mm-hmm. newest class, the real baby of the D and D bunch. So they showed up in Eberron, I think, and they've been kicking around since then. Officially, they showed up in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Is when they were like, "Hey, by the way, here's the Artificer." This is legit now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never got to play an Artificer. I did play in a campaign with an Artificer, but this was actually before the Artificer class was completely official, so we kind of made up a lot of the rules around it. Oh, so, gotcha. Yeah, it was basically our friend wanted to have a giant homunculus rat, just a little I mean, goblin with a big rat. We found this item for it that kind of made it, like, super powerful because there was originally this flaw with the rat that if it rolled a 1 on a d6, it would attack one of us instead. Oh, I see. Wow, that's that's, like, not a low amount of chance. Yes, so that that does not factor in into this, of course. It's not going to be like the Blood Hunter where that is mm-hmm. a key factor at all. Uh, I think the first thing I'll say about the Artificer is, we talked about this before, um, not on the pod, is that when it comes to support for the Artificer, uh, the healing output it can do, the things it can create to create support tactics, it's a mm-hmm. pretty great support class. Yeah, the Alchemist gets some really nutty buffs to their healing spells. 
um, as well as just like getting all of them. Like the whole thing with the artificer, right, is about using equipment and like magical artifacts and like the alchemist makes potions and like it's just a lot of like here's some extra bits and bobs that are so applicable in so many different situations and can really do a great job of supporting your party. It's very cool that the proficiency list of like tool proficiencies and things like that kind of get more validation through mm -hmm. this class, making it really good in utility circumstances. Because at first, I don't know, maybe tinkerers tools, you're kind of like, well, what do I really do with these? What are these going to help with? Well, you could have a cool homunculus that hangs out around you and you're just doing repairs on it and creating new things for this homunculus to help your party out with. So the fact that it makes tools more important is really cool. Right. And shout out too to Xanathar's Guide for giving more ways to use tools. To just like yeah. to give some people some actual concrete things to be like, by the way, this is what you can actually do with like an herbalist's kit. Like, here you go. And like some relevant checks. Yeah, because it really is... It's been a background thing for so long. It's really just mm -hmm. been like, a, oh, yeah, this is in my character's background. But right. then it's only if you're in a situation where someone's like, oh, man, my shoe, the, the heel is coming off. If only right. someone could repair it. If only there was it, a cobbler nearby. I could tell them so many secrets for my shoe repair. I was also thinking there's so, all of the subclasses of the Artificer are very different, too. Like, the Armorer is like a super tank. Also yeah. super cool. Like, you get to be Iron Man, you know? That's what yeah, that, that is. Yeah, that is pretty cool. And it, it works well in a combat scenario, too. So mm -hmm. they definitely have a damage output that they have. You can be one that's, like, more dex-based and one that's, like, not dex-based. That's, like, tankier. Yeah, two two sides of a, of a play coin there. Yes. All of which to say, I think the Druid should win still. And yes. No surprise. <laughs> now, I'm going to back Aaron on this because Aaron already made... Uh, their case on it and I feel as though just so it doesn't seem like the druid is just going to make it all the way I also believe the druid is superior in this case <laughs> mm -hmm. I think part of what it comes down to for me is like the artificer is only a half caster yes and so a lot of your bits and bobs are still dependent on your spell slots the druid will just outclass you every day because it gets more spells exactly I mean there's three main things that come up healing spells you just have more of and kind of your debuffs and buffs mm -hmm. so you can do it more than the artificer can for support utility i just find there's so many more applicable things a druid can do that aren't just tool proficiencies when it comes to utility that's true yeah if you put the artificer out in the wilderness you're sort of a, a bit at a bit of a loss versus i think that like a druid in a bustling metropolis still has things they can do yeah turn into a rat scutter around mm -hmm. look for things uh search for clues and then when it comes to, like, the combat role of the druid, it can use ridiculously powerful spells, but with the wild shape ability, it always strikes me as a tank move because you just gain those hit points so you could t absorb more damage and kind of support. I think I say this every time, that when I first started playing D&D &D and I built my first druid, I was like, I really don't want wild shape. Like, that seems dumb. I was never super into it. And now that I actually am playing one, like, a couple years later... I love Wild Shape so much. It is oh, so, so incredibly good. useful, and every it's like every time I'm thinking about this bracket, I'm like, and then the Druid can use Wild Shape, and like that's always a game changer. I started off being like, oh wow, the Wild Shape Druid's the best because the Wild Shape is actually good with the Circle of the Moon Druid. Circle of the Moon is also a phenomenal subclass. 
But the wild shape doesn't just have to be for combat purposes, is the thing. Like, you don't have to create those CR1 creatures right mm-hmm. from the beginning. Right. Those low CRs could help so much. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of exploration um, benefits, too, to using wild shape. So, mm. like, it doesn't just have to be like, I'm going to turn into the strongest, biggest creature I can. It's like sometimes you need to be a tiny spider, or sometimes you want to be an octopus, you know, or a seal. Maybe or a seal. There a seal. it is. There it is. I was waiting for the seal. I just, also, the, like, the Storm Coast sea lion is perhaps one of the best CR1 half creatures you can wild shape into. I do it all the time, and it's dope. We've never really been in water. We've had one water scenario where you've turned into And a that seal. was clutch. It was pretty great. You were just swimming around. You saved someone with really heavy armor who couldn't float yeah, to the top. Yeah, he was sinking like a rock. That was bad. So, so you know, there's... <laughs> Seals could come in handy in many, many different ways. Mm-hmm. All for the druid. <laughs> Sorry about it. If you want to come at me in the comments, please do. I think a cool thing we could do, and we were we were talking about this before, to give, because we had a prediction what was going to happen to the Blood Hunter and the Artificer. I think they deserve a chance to compete against each other to validate mm. which new class is people's favorites. So I think we could toss a little bracket out to the DMG you know, I know community. we said no loser's bracket, but I'm curious. It's we not just got to know. Yeah, just like which one do you like more? Last week, we didn't get to do um, any polls or anything because it was such a shutout. So, yeah, And I miss hearing from too. you guys. So yeah. <laughs> slide into so, my Instagram DMs again. That's fine. Exactly. Check out the Instagrams, vote, and we will see who wins, the Blood Hunter or the mm-hmm. Artificer. But our main bracket will continue as well. Yes, and the Paladin and the Druid are advancing to the semifinals. Oh, so exciting. This is really exciting. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, so this was a fun time we had in the Forgotten Realms today. I had a really, Mm -hmm. really great journey through it. Yes. Now, even though we're in the Forgotten Realms, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast.